Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Sequelizers. It actually isn't the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies, because we're still between seasons, and we're still on the kind of vague topic of cinematic universes, and we'll get more into what the actual plan is for the episode later on. Meanwhile, I am Jack Chambers, as usual, and joining me, Mr. Alec Plowman. Hello, internet friends. Mr. Stuart Ashen. Hello, internet enemies. Tim Matum. Hello, internet people I haven't decided about yet. And Matthew Stockton. Hello, internet chums. So we've covered cinematic universes and the ones we enjoyed, the ones that haven't worked. We talked about Dread 2. Now it's kind of time for us to get back into the pitching game a little bit and come up with some cinematic universes that so far don't exist, but we would like to exist. As I kind of started off in the intro, I'll go with you, Alec. Let's start with you first. Oh, wow. what's, your, what's your idea for a cinematic universe? Okay. My idea for a cinematic universe, as only I could come up with, because this is um, leaning into Have a guess, things. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hawkalians versus Mother Teresa. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so my cinematic universe isn't actually a cinematic universe because it goes across television as well. Oh, so it interesting. In so the shared media, multimedia universe. Well, yeah. Cross, cross media entertainment uh, property. The three properties that I intend to take and merge into a shared universe are the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous. Okay, yeah. Very good film. The 1984 Rob Reiner film This Is Spinal Tap. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Listen's probably going to guess that. I'm going to say also 2000 Paul Feig Judd Apatow television series Freaks and Geeks. Jesus. So unsurprisingly your theme is the 70s. Yeah, into the early 80s. <laughs> into the yeah. early 80s. My, my, theme, yeah. my theme is 1973 to 1982. <laughs> is that what you did your thesis on as yeah. well? <laughs> Close, Close enough. enough. Yeah. So I've picked uh, a few franchises here. That The links there are obvious. These things already, I think it's easy to justify them existing in a shared universe because all of them use the same cultural reference points. It's all very much about... Two of them are coming-of-age stories, which is uh, almost famous in Freaks and Geeks, set against the back drop of the 70s early 80s and make heavy reference to rock music and pop culture of that time and then this is spinal tap is a parody of the rock music of that time and my intention is that firstly it means that we get more freaks and geeks which was a series that was very much cut off ahead of its time i completely agree with that it allows us to go back and catch up with those characters and do more with that almost famous i think there is there is scope for that as well and i feel like spinal tap while i know they have come back in real life they never really got because that was such a sleeper when it came out they never really got a do over there so in terms of how i'm intending to bring these things together what i would want to do is i want to have more iterations of these things possibly on television where i would start weaving some of these threads in the build-up to the big shared moment movie that would come out and the premise for this is it takes place roughly 15 to 20 years ish after the events of freaks and geeks so 15 years after freaks and geeks and it takes place during the grateful dead's final tour which william miller the protagonist from almost famous 
is writing an article on Deadheads for Rolling Stone magazine. Spinal Tap have been booked as the support band for the Grateful Dead in a comedy circumstance because Spinal Tap had never heard of them and thought they were a heavy metal band because they had Dead in their name. (laughs) Nice. Um, And are also trying to badger William Miller because he's on the committee for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is essentially a Rolling Stone vehicle, and they think that they are due that. At the same time, so end of Freaks and Geeks, Lindsay goes off instead of going to this academic summit that she was supposed to go she has this crossroad moment where she can go and do the sensible thing or she can go and follow her heart and go on tour with the grateful dead she oh sorry Stuart, have you not seen the end of freaks and geeks no i'm only halfway through right (laughs) okay Lindsay is having a quarter-life crisis and has gone on the road following the Grateful Dead to try and recapture her youth, having gone off and been a very sensible early adult. William Miller is also having a sort of quarter-to-midlife crisis because he's a bit older than her. And it is about these two and how they meet against the backdrop of a shared Grateful Dead Spinal Tap tour and kind of work out their issues of quarter to midlife crises. And that's my shared universe. Nice. I like it. So it would be set kind of mid-90s? 1995, which is the final Grateful Dead tour. So Jerry Garcia dies in August 95. The Grateful Dead is on tour until June, I think. Uh, of that year the great thing about the grateful dead is that they were extensively bootlegged so there is loads of archive footage of the grateful dead from that tour most of the shows from it were filmed and i like the idea that you intercut the footage of the bands as bootleg footage as if it's being shot by (laughs) people in the crowd which gets around with then not actually having them there and you do the same for spinal tap for a continuity thing yeah and obviously filming wise because freaks and geeks and almost famous karen around about the same time I assume you'd be filming, in terms of like TV and film TV, producing this sort of 2000 uh, now? Roughly now, yeah, yeah, maybe I mean, a few years before, but everybody is more or less the right age because mm. they are, because it's, you're taking place roughly 15 to 20 yes, exactly, years later. Yes. Everybody's moved on enough that yeah, we're at that and point. And tap are old as fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I like that, yeah. that's good. And, and yeah, the, uh, Spinal Tap will have aged more, but that almost fits that, with that Spinal Tap. Because yeah. if they look, yeah. that works if they look decrepit. Yeah. And I, I like the idea that Spinal Tap are trying to go for a grunge look to try and oh, wow. <laughs> kind of fit in with the time and writing yeah, yeah, yeah. like sub Alice in Chains songs uh, <laughs> to try and kind of, you know, which might, I mean, you get a uh, cameo of Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains producing their new album or something like that. That sounds good to me. And they'd have been living that rock and roll lifestyle, so Mm. it would have weighed heavily on them. I was wondering if one of them other than the drummer might be dead. And obviously it would be a different (laughs) drummer. You'd go through many drummers, yeah. Part of me wants it to be the Spinal Tap tour where it's just Derek Smalls. (laughs) It's it's like like Derek Smalls' Spinal Tap or the Derek Smalls' Spinal Tap experience. And the other two are suing him. And he's trying to get his version in the rock hall. I mean, they they should all three be doing the Spinal Tap experience. Like one with... Um, Nigel St. What is it? Nigel St. Tufnell? Uh, Nigel Tufnell and N- David Nigel, St. Hubbins. That's yeah. it, yeah. They should be on the same bill. So yes. it should be, it should yeah. be Derek Smalls' yeah. Spinal Tap experience and the Spinal Tap story featuring. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them has the rights to Spinal yeah. Tap. Yep. And they're all full of completely wrong it musicians. It was one of the yeah. dead drummers that yeah. had the, yeah. 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 signed the contract. So they're all stuck with... An even better idea would be that one of the drummers has taken Spinal Tap and made it into a household name. 
without any of the founding members of the Spinal Tap is now like this Brilliant. totally revered band. And these two are on like the revival circuit. <laughs> Solid. <Yeah. laughs> We've got totally useless musicians they've picked up because they're vaguely famous. Yeah. Derek Smalls and Tony Hadley in. Because <laughs> I like this idea. I think it's really good. Where would you go after that initial crossover? Well, I, I imagine this is actually being a build-up. I imagine there being a Spinal Tap TV series that would introduce the idea of them knowing William Miller. Yeah, yeah. And that you might get some kind of Freaks and Geeks follow-up. But I wouldn't want it to be a full Freaks and Geeks series, but a spin-off that might follow yeah. some of the characters from that. So I imagine there'd be a bit of that first. And I can see this as being a Netflix thing now, building up to a movie or possibly just an event series. And an event series might be better for it, where because the event series then can be the Grateful Dead tour. Because mm. that was the other great thing about it, is that the idea of being a deadhead means that you go to not just one show but all of the shows so you can have a narrative that plays out in different locations and presents you with different challenges and scenarios across the US. We're also getting that kind of first wave of like proper 90s nostalgia in film now. Yeah. I think was was Lady Bird set mid 90s? 2000s. Jonah Hill has got a film coming out called literally mid 90s um and uh <laughs> <No>. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. God, only Jonah Hill. So yeah, it would work it would work. Really Really well in terms of like people looking back on that period yeah and i even wonder if you could also pull in some if you wanted to go for more cameron crow i was thinking about pulling in some singles references as well yeah which is his good kind of, yeah so bringing citizen dick into the fold maybe <laughs> and yeah these other bands so how many films would you see out of that i don't know beyond the first one because it depends Maybe on what... Maybe it's more television just leading yeah. up to the one event. Yeah, I, I think so. And that might be a good place to end it. But it might be, depending on what the relationships of those characters are at the end, that that's you could something do something that you could yeah. develop. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd initially quite like the idea of Lindsay having to chaperone one of her children to a gig and oh. what that experience might be. But that's something that might come later and her being in the position of being her dad with her husband hawkeye which links into the marvel cinematic <laughs> universe yeah i like it yeah. <laughs> there is a tangential marvel <laughs> <with> there as well <laughs> she drives one of the cars from mask that turns into an airplane <laughs> so that was my universe jack what's your universe look like so we've actually seen a, a couple of glimpses into this cinematic universe. I'm talking about the work of controversial comic book writer Mark Miller, aka Mark Millard, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Why do people say Mark Millar all of a sudden? Americans do, because they're oh, fucking idiots. The, do they see the A and go, well, that must be Millar? Yeah, it can't God possibly be the same, pronounced America. the same way as Miller. He's Scottish, it's Miller. Mark Miller. <laughs> Mark yeah, Miller, exactly. you cunt. That's, basically That's pretty much how he talks. Yeah. yeah, Mark Miller, you might not know the name if you're not a comic book fan. You probably heard of the film Kick-Ass and possibly the film Wanted as well, the, the James McAvoy vehicle. They're both written by Mark Miller originally in the comics and were adapted for screen. And his whole comic thing is like a subtle shared universe. So you've got things like the more grounded stuff like Kick-Ass and Wanted and he's got a like version of Superman called Huck, which is kind of like based in the real world. And then he's got his batshit insane space opera and superhero stuff that is like films within that universe, almost like Tarantino style 
style where Kill Bill is supposedly the film that they're referencing in Pulp Fiction. His Jupiter Legacy series, which is all like the gods and the superheroes battling out, is a film within the Kick-Ass universe. Like the guy from Kid Dave from Kick-Ass goes to see it at the cinema and there's like a poster for some of his other comics in the background. And one of the final issues of Kick-Ass 3, you see another kid from one of his other comics coming out of the cinema and he like Dave opens the door for him. It's the kid from Superior who is his version of like Shazam, Captain Marvel, whatever you want to call him. He's a kid with MS who gets superpowers and basically turns into another version of Superman. And then you've got the kind of history side of things. So there's also one that's set like 65 million years ago in this like epic space opera, which is called Empress. And that's it's all set in the same universe in a weird way. And then you have characters this is not even my pitch yet this is what's actually happening yeah, in these comics comic, isn't it? and i'm basically just bringing this to screen i'm just stealing mark's ideas then you have uh, so the jupiter legacy stuff is based on the main character is called the utopian and he's the guy that existed in real life that then inspires the other superheroes and there's a whole like mind wipe thing at the end of wanted so there, there were superheroes and then everybody the bad guys won and wiped everybody's minds and it's a whole thing but it sets up this world where you have a real life thing in the more grounded stuff in Kick-Ass and you have them kind of crossing over and, and coming together. And Mark has talked about it. His company's recently been bought by Netflix and Netflix are now producing a Huck TV series slash mini series to then spin into a film, which is the, the guy that is the, the Superman equivalent, basically. And he will also cross over with the other versions of the other characters. So you have the grounded side of things where they could bump into each other in, in their aliases and secret identities and then eventually meet as the superhero characters and spin off into bigger, more epic adventures. And the guy from Jupiter's Legacy, the main kind of like superhero character, crosses universes and at the end of Superior, so the, the Shazam equivalent, he gets sent through a magical portal into the gods and superhero universe as well so yeah essentially you've got two sides of that universe and i think it would work quite well as it's the fact that it's already been acquired by netflix kind of works i'm thinking in terms of like marvel cinematic universe you have the more grounded stuff you have the daredevils and the jessica jones and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. the lesser known characters kind of hanging out in the streets and then the big crazy space opera shit going on and also you've got a couple of time travelers called the chrononauts which is my favorite millar world thing i said millar world you did that. i fucking noticed it <laughs> mark miller world chrononauts is my favorite miller world series and they travel through time hence the name chrononauts and they can cross over with the different series and kind of almost like the nick fury style characters that they will recruit the other ones to fight battles for them throughout time and throughout space and stuff like that so it's kind of expanding on what he's already kind of set up he did like a, a blog about like here's how i want to do it but that's mark millar's always thinking about the big like crazy picture and like he, he's always thinking the big yeah i'm gonna sell my script to make millions of dollars kind of moment and then i'm just kind of expanding on what he's kind of hinted at already yeah it's a nice one because the grand work is done basically yeah miller's just done it in the comics and, just and we've already seen kick-ass and wanted yeah as well. and these mm -hmm. things have been successful does uh kingsman fit into this I, I didn't factor Kingsman into it, but it certainly could. What's it called in the comics? It's not called Kingsman. Secret Service. Secret Service. That's Kingsman right. Secret Service, yeah. Right, yeah. The comic version of Wanted is considerably different to the movie version. It is, yeah. Would you want a new version of Wanted to kind of more closely line up? I would assume a reboot. That would, that would be ideal, yeah. 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 I mean, you could adapt it, but who remembers Wanted? Like I do. 
it was you okay. remember most films a bit a bit too well true Matthew. i also read the comic after i watched the oh, film interesting thought, oh yeah. yeah you could do more with that yeah that'd be much more interesting do you think this approach solves some of the cinematic universe issues that you have in comics because there are two different realities because mm. it seems to me one of the the issues with uh like marvel comics but also an issue that the marvel cinematic universe faces is uh, is overcrowding and things getting held up because we're waiting for another character to get to a place mm. and all of the, the rest of it and you literally have like like I said, like people on the street, like Daredevil exists in the same universe as yeah. Guardians of the fucking Galaxy. And it's like, why does Daredevil matter if they're off fighting giant things in space that de- like defending the galaxy where he's just like, I'm defending Hell's Kitchen. Yay. The as a Daredevil of- fan, fuck you. I love Daredevil. <laughs> I absolutely adore Devil Devil. But like in the grand scheme of things, he's Oh yeah, pointless. well he's, Hell's Kitchen doesn't matter if there's no world. Exactly. Do you picture it? The, the two different universes is, is a really interesting idea. Do you picture them as being, like, how stylistically different are they going to be? Considerably. Because the, the thing that leapt to my mind is you have the grounded stuff be live action and then you do, like, animation for <laughs> that's, the... That's not a bad idea, yeah. yeah. You go, like, big-budget, crazy animation style with... Mm. Empress would have to be. <laughs> yeah, Empress is mental, yeah. so it would kind of have to be. Um, but it, it's almost like... to calling a bad film like Valerian and the city of whatever the hell that film was called mm. visually it's, it's it, I can imagine it being directed by Besson and being like this weird kind of a bit more fifth element sort of style yeah fifth yeah. element kind of craziness yeah. yeah one of the other things that strikes me um talking about Kickass is that Kickass seems to me in the film version became more fantastical than it was in the comic book. That's the transition at the end of two is that Dave is being replaced by the actual superheroes that are cropping up okay. around like he's kind of started off and brought made people realize like, oh, it's okay to be a hero and just be a normal kid, whereas people with actual powers do exist in that universe. Okay. And he's the one that inspires them to come out and sure. Okay. Like in, in three it kind of ends with him, like I said, it it literally ends with him walking out of the cinema and the kid from Superior and he actually has powers he's Shazam he's Captain Marvel he says magic word and turns into a super powerful thing so those characters do exist and it's Dave Lewinsky's influence that helps them come out into the spotlight I think that my thing was that from recollection Kick-Ass the film is more over the top than Kick-Ass the mm. comic book especially at the end where you get the whole jetpack thing and everything else. Uh, in, in some, in some ways if, I wondered if with Mark Miller's grounded stuff being so over the top anyway the potential for a separation there yeah. might be the main problem I have with Mark Miller's stuff in that grounded stuff in particular is when you get characters called like the motherfucker and stuff like that mm-hmm. it, it's really childish kind of he's trying to antagonize low, low brow humor yeah exactly and he's like here's a rape joke and here's like a scene where the female character gets raped because to quote mark miller that's the worst thing you can do to a person so i'm gonna put it in my film mm. it's like ah, yeah i would want to dial that down a lot so the fantastical stuff in jupiter's legacy and empress and chrononauts even with the time travel stuff seems even more out there and crazy mm. Mm. And you've also got like characters like Nemesis, who's like evil Batman, basically. And he would kind of, I don't know, like a hit girl 
going after Nemesis because again ne- Nemesis is in that universe he's referenced in the Kick-Ass comic they mentioned like oh there's a serial killer going around doing this thing and blah 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 blah, blah. and he's kind of almost like a Batman figure and that nobody knows who he is he's kind of going around but he's a yeah serial killing Batman rather I than thought Nemesis Batman. was a flat comic it was but almost interesting yeah, but it was it, it was yeah. such a close concept like oh this could be really good and yeah. then like nah it's I not. was trying to remember what he was called because I saw he was called Superior and I was like did he name two characters the same thing <laughs> <laughs> obviously not no so yeah Superior is the good guy kind of Captain Marvel thing but yeah I always feel that Mark Miller's a great writer when he has the reins on like when he's doing stuff Agreed. for oh, yeah. for publishers because they say no you can't um, and I, I felt that Kick-Ass the film worked better than the book because I, I thought that Jane Goldman really reigned some of the I stuff totally in. Agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a better story in the film yeah. the film works like I said with the, yeah. with the like the motherfucker characters there's way more of that really gross unpleasant uncomfortable humour in the comics than there is in the films not just for like ratings and stuff but also because the screenplay writers and people like Jane Goldman dial it back and go yeah let's not do that let's do it this way and this would work better on screen compared to the page and things like that I don't think Kick-Ass 2 is a particularly good film but I very much found it interesting that the rape scene in Kick-Ass 2 the comic is literally just that oh I know I'm gonna I'm gonna rape you now and in the film it takes the exact same path undercuts it with the fact that Christopher Mintz Platt's character can't get an erection and then just beats the crap out of it and I don't say just it's still horrific and awful but it is more palatable in a way and it highlights him being pathetic and more so and and that's and if anything that's a better written progression than just guess what I'm gonna do this now it's like oh okay so I'm gonna hand it over to my mustachioed friend over there Tim, no. <laughs> <laughs> the one clean-shaven <laughs> member of the... <laughs> Master Matthew Stogden, what have you got for us? I've got... I had a lot of really Pure weird ideas. You're damn right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, so I had lots of different ideas of things I wanted to bring in, lots of weird anime and shit, and I thought, no, 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 no. Let's go back to my childhood and things I didn't actually particularly like. So I'm going to take a bunch of Jerry Anderson productions. If you don't know, for whatever reason, Jerry Anderson things like Thunderbirds, and Stingray and lots of puppet related I'd say Saturday morning yeah Yeah. I'd say so because I must admit I grew up on those things never particularly liked them didn't understand why we cut away from a puppet to a man's hands (laughs) that was always a strange sight to me I was like wait wait this isn't right because the puppets had men's hands they just didn't want anybody (laughs) to find out I fucking knew they spent so much time working on the hands and then (laughs) they were like it's Thursday and it's in for Friday (laughs) I must admit I thought they were already a cinematic universe as a child I thought literally that Stingray existed in the same universe as the Thunderbirds and was surprised that they didn't. Me too. I see, um, For years, I had seen bits of Captain Scarlet and bits of Stingray. I thought they were the same show. For some reason, I thought that Joe 90 was the glue that held them together. And I have no idea why. But I'm like, like when you were mentioning this previously, I was like, but Joe 90 shows up in all of those, right? And then it's like, no. <laughs> Only in your wildest <laughs> dreams. He's, yeah, he's the Nick man. Fury of that universe, right? So I'm taking very specific titles. Not Terrorhawk, sorry, Stuart. Fuck you. <laughs> no Terror Hawks, because they're weird fucking faces and it's too comedy. That's entirely fair. Yeah. They look they look dumb. They're still getting the sea. No, there are there are a few things that I think work well together, and some I think nope. And one of them that doesn't work is Space 1999, because it's very popular. Because oh, yeah. yeah. the moon blows up and goes away and just travels <laughs> through the space. Also, like, not puppets. No, not puppets. But this is kind of a key crucial thing. I would bring in uh, and by this man I mean I would have separate films that would have a sort of crossover film and then go from there. I don't mean to spoil anything but are you doing puppets in the you modern age you are about to get 
interesting. Your mind blown, right, okay, son. I'm ready. Right, so we can't do live action because Thunderbirds live action is dog shit. <laughs> we can't do animated because that new Captain Scarlet from 2005 in CGI was dog shit. And there's a sort of Thunderbirds that they said was puppets, but actually that's mostly CGI. Yep. yep. Actually, no, I think the new Thunderbirds is meant to be okay. We just... Yeah, new, well, new Thunderbirds is all right. What option does that leave us then, Matthew? No it live action, no animated. What's shadows! The Thank you. Old classic shadow puppetry, <laughs> specifically crafted <laughs> in either India or Asia, <laughs> and it will be gold. Mime. Mime is also an option <laughs> for cretins. No, my option is to give Leica, the stop motion company, all the money Ooh. and make them make stuff. Because I Ooh. think with things like, if you don't already know, Leica make things like Kubo and the Two Strings and Paranorman and Coraline, lots of other different pieces. And they're all, I argue, very, very good. I think Box Trolls is one of the weaker elements. It's still a really good film. And on top of that, I would also add the production value is great. And it gets around the whole, oh, they're not puppets. And you've cast it, doesn't it? like them it's like doesn't matter stop motion it still has a puppetry nature to it without being you know flubber dubber dubber dub look at my fucking strings are you crossing over with bill and ben the flower pop <laughs> yeah it does it doesn't have that ropey nonsense it doesn't have this, it has a semi notion of nostalgia without being fully crafted it is still an animation of sorts we can also get around of certain images imagery sorry so you can do a lot of interesting things with it and it, then you also still have the miniatures and all stuff so it feels as it should considering what it is and then we also get around the idea of, oh no, what happens to the character's age? Guess what? Joe Knighty's always going to be that little kid. <laughs> like a haunted beast. Also, you, also <laughs> you couldn't have him doing like mad stunts without endangering ch child actors. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And the way that Lycra especially have done stop motion, especially with like Kubo and the Two Strings, they've brought everything to life so wonderfully that you can do so much with it. The series I want to bring together very quickly is Stingray, mm -hmm. Thunderbirds. No, no, no. That's the one. Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Joe Knighty, UFO, Space Precinct. Oh, can, you can't knock out Terrorhawks oh, and put in bloody yes, Space I can, Precinct. I can and I will defend That's myself. unorthodox. Hang on. Yeah. And also the anime Firestorm. So let me... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me school your asses. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, isn't what the UFO is live action as well, since you're going to just yeah, so bring them all back? So it's Space sense. Precinct. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, that's true. But yeah. Jerry Anderson's so making all of the same thing, rebooting all of it into a new universe. And everyone's like, oh, it's already silly and colourful. So was Star Trek and so was Captain America. And now they're some of the biggest blockbuster sort of things. So I think you can make a different new version for a new audience. They'd be very, very good. It's more the theme. So I'd say Stingray, I would pitch as a horror adventure. I would pitch Thunderbirds as disaster films, like the sort of like the rock-esque kind of, you know, San Andreas yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Captain Scarlet would be a sort of action suspense sci-fi drama, so it'd be an all-rounding sort of thing. But a bit of superhero as well, because he's indestructible. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Joe 90 would be very much more the kid-centric or family-centric film, spy thriller, kind of a comedy. That would be a lighter element, like having a Spider-Man film and bringing it into something a lot darker, like, say, like Winter Soldier, for argument's sake. UFO would be more of a shield thing and tie in a bit with Firestorm, because Firestorm, the anime, which is very short-lived and wasn't very well received, kind of the idea of Generations of Peace and this group called Black Orchid were actually very scroll-like and just alien shapeshifters. Again, like the Mistrons kind of. I was going to say, it's an obvious... Yeah. yeah. And finally, you'd have a space precinct in the Guardians of the Galaxy kind of way. Just cop drama on another planet. And then you can finally have them all crossing over in a weird way. You don't have to do it literally as meh, as space precinct. You can make it literally a Blade Runner if you wanted to. And then finally bring these things together. I think the thing is that we'd have the elements of the, of the shows in film form, but projecting them in a very different way that would make them more palatable to a modern audience who had no connection... 
I think it could be quite interesting. And again, Anderson's stuff always has a bit of a running theme anyway, so you can kind of bring that together and make a lot of interesting things, in my opinion. I think the stop motion is a really good shout. Mm. I mean, you can't bring back the original puppets because many were in different scales to other ones. Exactly. Like I think Captain Smile or Small, and yeah, it just doesn't work together. There is a huge problem, though. I will forgive you for letting out Terrorhawks. Okay, go ahead. But I'm you ready. have missed out the finest of the Anderson series. I'm the, waiting for it. The Secret Service. No. Secret Service and the Protectors. So, Oh, God, not the Protectors. Even I can't stretch the Protectors. <laughs> no, there's a few ones I think that, again, in my opinion, the things I've left out, I feel could be worked in at a later date. I don't think so. I was, in fact, being oh, no, no. deliberately I, I genuinely think you could because the Secret Service is so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I think you can take it in name only, but by then you've built up such a legacy of good films. You could say Secret Service, oh, fuck, that was terrible. Oh, my God, this is amazing now. <laughs> yeah, because we literally ripped its guts out. <laughs> Puppet guts. No, nobody ever talks about it and for good reason I mean to explain it to the audience it's about a vicar who <laughs> talks in gibberish played by Stanley Unwin happily birth charmers and he is a member of the secret service he's an undercover spy as well as a priest or vicar or mm -hmm. wherever he was I forget his denomination and <laughs> the way he got things done was to shrink his accomplice and carry him around in a suitcase mm -hmm. I, again that's the entire fucking if you have it cast as Michael Douglas suddenly it's interesting <laughs> why is this not your first like why are you not out of the gate leading with this i would like to make one small additional caveat there would be a lot of nudity no i would i would have a lot more diversity in the puppetry cast because there's some dark things there that just don't work the uh fucking tracy island the angels were pretty diverse if i remember correctly they were they were reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah but i want to i want to do more i would ditch that fucking mute aquamarina Nonsense. <laughs> Get fucking being you nonsense. But, but how are you gonna? How are you gonna sort out your end of? Yeah, exactly. What What's your end of the Stingray film, song gonna be? The film ends with just literally. It's gonna more be more of the Stingray thing. <laughs> I have I have an observation and I have a question. Go for both. So my observation was: it always really annoyed me that they called him Indestructible Captain Scarlet because that's not what his powers were. Yeah. It was that he came back to life after he had been killed. Correct. His like body regenerated no matter what man, happened yeah. to him. Yeah, he's he's not Luke Cage. Yeah. He's Wolverine? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have healing powers. He no. just no, goes back he, to life. Yeah, in fact, I if he, I remember, his corpse still stays there and a new body just yes. appears. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. And then he point. fucks his own corpse and eats it. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know my interest. So that, that was my observation. My question, question yes. my question is, Stingray used to start with anything can happen in the next half an hour. Yes. So in your film version, does it start with like anything can happen in the next 103 minutes? Probably. Uh, <laughs> the, the fan service would be tasteful and minimal. Mm -hmm. I would say even the themes would be hidden and buried. I would want this to be a complete separation. You're doing the classic modern thing of, oh, the classic theme is somebody's ringtone, like they <laughs> oh, do in no. the Power Rangers. I didn't say they do all the reboots I, and then no. you're like, oh, I just got a text. Da, 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 da. I want to say no, but I mean, I don't know how much control I have over this universe eventually. <laughs> Someone's going to say, Oh, I just got a text. Marina. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be Captain Scarlet dropping something down the stairs. Dun dun dun. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. That's his corpse falling down <laughs> as he stands at the top of the stairs watching his own corpse. Yeah, so I got very angry that this doesn't exist. I was like, Shit, I really want this now. And I genuinely did. But as a kid, you kind of assume it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. all puppets. They've all got <laughs> weird heads, presumably. <laughs> and also, as Martin a Landau, ugh, he's as a, a bit strange. As a <laughs> <laughs> You play twins in that episode of yeah. Columbo. Oh, as, classic. as a child. I couldn't work out whether they were real people or not. <laughs> it's the hand! 
sense. Yes. <laughs> because they're not cartoons. No. You're like, I spent quite a bit of time being like, at these... This Very is blowing up. That's real. Shaped. Yeah, like that's an explosion. These people are strangely shaped. Their hands are fine. I assume... <laughs> I've always wondered why you Swiss. talk with just your bottom lip. Yeah. <laughs> Did you also have problems with Thomas the Tank Engine? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's elements of reality to that. But the Fat Controller is clearly just like a wooden peg man. But, <laughs> like, with, you know... But the trains are 100% real. Yeah. <laughs> but with, yeah, with Thunderbirds, like, oh, maybe people just had weird heads in the 60s. <laughs> like... I didn't know who the Beatles were drugs. at this point. They kind of yeah. had some weird haircuts, to be fair, so that's, that's fair. I'm going to hand over now to a fellow sequelizer. I have two to pick from, Tim and Stuart. Oh, we're going to pick Tim. Tim. Okay. I got really into doing mine, so I Jesus have like... Christ, no. Oh, God, really... the notes have come out. The notes have come out. That's a full page of A4. <laughs> Is, I think there's a second. That's two years. pages of A4, oh, my God. You know the... Uh, oh, the good the, old days. The meme from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie's got that big wall full of stuff. <laughs> That's you, Tim. Yes. So, like Alex, I'm do taking films that exist and sewing them together into a Frankenstein's monster. Uh, Is it Frankenstein? Than, it's not Frankenstein. <laughs> a uh, the a most dark universe of sorts. All the different iterations. <laughs> it's 30s Frankenstein, it's Hammer Frankenstein, it's 1994 Frankenstein. Shit. They do shit it's like that. that in comics yeah. all the time. It's that so terrible Aeronet car, I oh, Frankenstein. God. And we also have is Kevin James's Frankenstein from Hotel Transylvania. Absolutely. I love it. it. I love it. it. Make it. I, is it called I Frankenstein's? <laughs> yes. Ooh, <laughs> we Frankenstein's. <laughs> oh, all three of us. Or us Frankenstein's. <laughs> it's even worse, actually. <laughs> Mine is a, some quite recent films, so be warned, listeners, because I'm going to spoil the shit out oh. of them. Oh, fuck. John Wick. Seen it. Atomic Blonde. Seen that. And Hotel Artemis. That makes seen, complete not sense. Seen Hotel Artemis. Um, I've heard so, of that. So really? Hotel, Hotel Artemis is it's set slightly in the future and it is about a secret hospital for criminals. Oh, uh, I see the connection already. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are, there are obviously like thematic links between that and the John Wick franchise where you have these established safe zones for criminals. You know, John Wick has already, especially in the second one, hinted at this much larger, more complex world. And obviously you also have a, a kind of an aesthetic or a, you know, a pedigree shared by the John Wick films and the Atomic Blonde films in the co-director of the first one, went on to make Atomic Blonde and there's a, there's a stylistic, stylistic yeah. yeah similarities yeah. between the two and also my fourth bullet point here says assassins are cool as hell uh, which is my fourth reason for why I think they'd all work well together the third John Wick film is already being made and there is plans for an Atomic Blonde 2 I'm going to push John Wick 3 back a little bit because I want Atomic Blonde 2 and Hotel Artemis 2 to come before it but I'm going to rattle through my pitches at extremely fast pace now I have four films laid out and then beyond that who who knows? First, we have Atomic Blonde Coldest Winter, which would pick up in 1991 and would have Lorraine Broughton, that's Charlie Theron's character, investigating missing kind of CIA and ex-KGB operatives uh, in Istanbul. Uh, she'd encounter a younger Vigo Tarasov, who is Mikhail Blum Blumquist, Blumquist yeah. uh, his character from the first John Wick, uh, when he's a, a kind of an enforcer for the Kiev mob. And eventually her investigation would lead her to a mysterious organisation that's recruiting freelance assassins. And there's this kind of hint at a much larger network. We 
we'd also meet a younger version of uh, Ian McShane's character. <gasps> CGI younger Lovejoy sold. <laughs> no, because I found the perfect person to play younger Ian McShane, and that is Rufus Sewell. Ooh, Interesting. Rufus Sewell, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Not that young, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. But you've uh, denied me a CGI Lovejoy, so I'm not going to listen now. <laughs> <laughs> so then Hotel Artemis 2 pick up six years after the first film, and it would be a kind of road movie that then turns into a heist film where you have Sterling K. Brown and his character from the first one, who's kind of a thief bank robber. He would re-team up with Everest, who is David Batista's character from the first one, and they would be hired by a shadowy figure to uh, travel across this kind of anarchic version of America where society is collapsing to break into this secure vault and retrieve an ancient ledger. And they would, at the end of the film, they travel out to deliver their prize to the client, who turns out to be a 70-year-old John Wick living in a mansion full of dogs uh, who tells them <laughs> it's it's time to correct his mistake. So then John Wick Parabellum, which is the working title for the third one, basically what you would expect for the John Wick 3. He has a global contract out on him, so he's constantly pursued by assassins and it's him killing everyone who comes within about 50 feet of him. And you have this fantastic action. And then about two-thirds of the way through the film, he is offered sanctuary by the headmistress, who is a former colleague in the kind of world of assassins, who now trains people for this high-table, organised crime syndicate that rules the world. And he arrives at her school, and we reveal her to be Matilda, Natalie Portman's character from Leon. Oh, shit. um, uh, Bringing in that film as well. Where's where's Ghost Dog in all of this, is my question. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she explains that she's been waiting for this chance to, to dismantle the high table and then the fourth film which i've called the the revengers tragedy is basically this is a crossover this is the crossover this um, is their avengers kind of moment yes right and i've described it as godfather part two with better choreographed action and more bisexual lighting how dare you <laughs> <laughs> there's tons of bisexual lighting it's just really really dark you can't see it um Lots of those oranges, got lots of blue and pink lighting on them. Yeah, so we have it in three different time periods where you have Charlize Theron like climbing the ranks of the high table and establishing herself as like the centre of this network. Um, You have John Wick and Matilda waging war on them and eventually coming face to face with Charlize Theron's character like in the present day and destroying the high table. And then you have uh, in 2034 an elderly, although it's Keanu Reeves, so obviously he would not age, uh, John Wick. Charlize Theron doesn't age... Keanu Reeves doesn't age. Yeah. Natalie Portman's looked the same for like 20 years at this point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You've got an ageless cast of just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have him and Sterling K. Brown and, and Batista basically realising that by destroying this kind of structure that had been set on the criminals of the world, they kind of fucked it up and he's trying to bring some kind of semblance of order back. Of, of all the pictures thus far, I genuinely feel this is one that most likely would happen and probably still may happen. Maybe that's the Leon bit, although I'm disappointed <laughs> because that'd be good. As you say, stylistic, they're so closely linked yeah. that it wouldn't take much for a producer to say, fuck it, let's do this. I feel it's it's so close to actually happening. I think stylistically it makes the most sense and I like the way that it's kind of... Yours is the least related franchises that are actually easily tied mm. together. Like, mm. in theory, they have nothing to do with each other, but then yeah. you have those little threads that kind of tie them all together quite nicely. This is a bit of a weird, like, meta question. Are they done by different studios? Would that even be possible? Like, is it all owned by Columbia I Pictures or anything like not, that? I, like, yeah. I must admit, I... it was distributed by Focus, which means you probably could acquire it. And I think yeah. with John with John Wick money, you definitely could acquire it. Yeah. John Wick was put out by, uh, well, distributed by Summit. So both, again, both of them are kind of on the yeah. low. Yeah. Both, all you need is one big heavy studio to say, I'm buying 
combine all this <laughs> with doing something with Give it. Give me all the assassins. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine Sony would do it. The uh, the only problem with it is that Sofia Boutilla is in two of those films Ooh, playing oh different yeah. characters separated by about 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Daughter, G- problem yeah. solved. Gee, her daughter looks like her. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but um, bum. Is, hey, is said James every Fox film dead? I think he is. No, he's not. Oh, how old is you, he, though? He's 79. Fuck. You could bring him out and do something quite interesting Oh, yeah. Mm. He d- wasn't really killed at the end of Day of and the Dead. Death Jackal is a great film mm. and a terrible remake. Richard Gere and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis yeah. It fits very neatly. I think the only issue, and I think it's a workaround that you face, is the different time periods thing. I kind of had the same thing going on with mine, where it's like, if these are set in different times, we have to age and de-age people appropriately for this. But it's feasible because I think aging people up is usually easier than yeah. Is John Wick ever established when it's set? Mm, probably not concretely, but I yeah. assume I mean, it for was... the technology you can kind of say it's yeah. set. You go by the phones. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Such a thing, isn't it? That's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Flip phones. Yeah, yeah, we know it's that. Two thousand tens kind of thing. The, the second obviously picks up more or less straight away after the first one. Yeah. So I'm yeah. guessing yeah. it's set around the time of the first one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did have ideas for who I would cast as an aged-up Charlize Theron if I needed to, which was Christine Baranski. That name rings a bell, I don't know why. Uh, Mamma Mia. Okay, yeah. No, 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 I didn't, And, and yes. The Good Wife. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if... I, I think mm, she could do Steely quite well. I agree with that, yeah. It is also feasible that Charlize Theron... Could, I think could, Theron yeah. playing Charlize, it might be better. Firstly, Charlize Theron is, is good at transformations. Yes, she did Monster she really and well. she did... Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that they could age her up appropriately yes. with the makeups and prosthetics and, 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 and the, the things that, the things that Hollywood is wanted for some do. reason I was going to say yeah she had brown hair in The Devil's Advocate like <laughs> what <laughs> she had my person dreadlocks in that Fast and Furious movie oh, oh fucking hell yeah cross it over Fast and Furious what could possibly go wrong Talking about assassins, we have eliminated everyone except one. Oh. So it's down to Stuart for our final cinematic universe. That was smooth. You should be a DJ. He's the John Wick of sequelizers. <laughs> the last man standing. My cinematic universe is an updating of an old cinematic universe. Mm. Hello. Consisting of comic characters from King Features Syndicate. Because indeed it is, as people who remember 80s cartoons will remember, Defenders of the Earth Defenders. Bim, bim. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that lovely stuff Perfect thanks tradition. there'll be uh, more of that later money ringtone Defenders of the Earth brings together uh, several comic characters superheroes generally from King Features Syndicate and really early comic characters like Mandrake the Magician who's in it who is the first comic superhero mm-hmm. like out of all the comic superheroes wow. he was there first not the first in literature that I believe is Springheel Jack of all oh. people which is based on an actual man who terrorised <laughs> women and somehow he turned from a terrorizer into a superhero and then a sequelizer right yeah. jack yeah <laughs> with his heels of spring healed and podcast he had a flaming jack eyes or a flaming mouth yeah I yes he did breathe yeah. fire could jump really high breathe fire from his eyes and in the like, like superhero Mark. rendition he had like a secret lair and identities and stuff and it was all very um irrelevant to this <laughs> 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 so you've got mandrake the magician flash gordon lothar and uh the phantom we all remember as Billy Zane. Yeah. Uh, Slam evil. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor old Billy Zane. He lobbied so hard for that because he was a massive fan of the character. Spent a year and a half bulking up so he didn't have to wear a padded suit. I, I thought he did okay. Yeah. And it got him the role in Titanic, so he's fine. I remember once watching Titanic with a group of people who were taking it very seriously and an hour and a half into the film, I turned to the person sat next to me and went, 
wasn't Billy Zane the Phantom? <laughs> and he just turned back to me and went, Slam Evil. <laughs> and I was like... And then we ruined the movie for everybody watching by pretending he was the Phantom and then left before it ended to go and buy the Phantom and then went and bought the Phantom and watched the Phantom. So originally, Defenders of the Earth was just a thing. It's like, these are these characters. They are in Defenders of the Earth. Enjoy, children. And we did, because they were good action figures. And a really big Flash Gordon ship that nobody ever bought because it was too expensive. But it was always in the Argos catalogue. Anyway, so Defenders of the Earth, the modern one, would be set and made now, basically and it would have various films basically with each single character in so then it brings them together and people care unlike the way they fucked it up with Batman versus Superman etc so first of all we have out of the sky his rockets ignite jets into battle flies faster than light flash gordon <laughs> <laughs> right wonderful writes the theme tune and sings that. the theme tune yes. <laughs> Uh, so Flash Gordon uh, first film would obviously base around him and this would be the setting up of the big bad but also Flash Gordon as guys so this would go broadly along with all the Flash Gordon origin stories basically so convinced that a rogue planet is on a collision course with Earth uh, erratic scientist Dr. Han Zarkov kidnaps his adventuring colleagues the husband and wife team of Flash and Dale Gordon can't we bother to go through all the romance stuff now? No. He's married at the start. Fuck it. It's fine. Mm. It's, just, it's just using up time in the film. And bundles him into his experimental rockets. They crash on the planet Mongo, where they discover that his ruler, Ming the Merciless, is planning to destroy the Earth by launching a huge asteroid at it, because it's in the way for something. Bit of a Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm -hmm. His son, Kang the Cruel, is in charge of the project, which is a great fucking name. Yeah. Dangerously similar to Kang the Conqueror, though, yeah. from Marvel. So let's hope yes. they don't bring him in for anything. I'm pretty sure all the Flash Gordon stuff was there first. So mm -hmm. Yes, by, by about 60 years. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so they team up with the Resistance Against Ming, which is led by Prince Baron of Arborea, uh, Queen Freya of Phrygia, and Prince Thun of the Lion Men just because I really like the phrase Prince Thun of the Lion Men. And they assault the asteroid, manage to fire it into the sun. Kang dies on the asteroid. Ming swears revenge against Gordon. And then the trio steal his greatest starfighter, the Ajax, and fly back to Earth with it and basically say, look out, there's a space bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the plot of uh, Infinity War? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the first yes. half of Infinity War. Yeah, that's <laughs> Except with less half of everybody dies. Okay, so the next film with Mandrake the Magician and Lothar. I've got to try and remember the lyrics for Mandrake, though. I don't remember like, the lyrics at uh, all. Master of magic, spells and illusion. Enemies crumble in fear and confusion. Mandrake. Who is a man, but he's not a drake. And he's there with his mate Lothar. His strength is a legend. His skills conquer all. Under his power, we never will fall. Lothar. Defenders of the Earth Defenders. Doo -doo. It's like Incredibles 2. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time induced. Hat of the theme tune. Because <laughs> basically, Mandrake is a bit of a fop, and Lothar is a bit of a powerhouse, and they work well together, no. I think, from this thing. Uh, at this point, I should mention, while I was coming up with this, uh, internet uh, reviewee person, Diamanda Hagen, on her Twitter, mentioned rebooting... <laughs> defenders of the earth and came up with various ideas literally um while i was thinking about all this stuff so if i've stolen any ideas from an amalgamated them i think that proves the stars have aligned for it oh yeah this is gonna happen so anyway mandrake is a magician and mostly mesmerist in the old hypnotism and that lothar superhumanly strong and virtually invulnerable i think cannot be harmed with weapons made, made by, by man. man that's what i, I remember, think yeah. is the thing yeah and he's an african prince 
which is relevant to the plot later. <laughs> also, he owns an album by Prince. No. Um, already acquainted by the time the film is set, they fought with the 20th Phantom to defeat an American criminal organisation known only as Eight, who attempted to destroy Lothar's home to dig for sapphires, and swore to follow its influence back to New York and destroy it once and for all. We join them as they discover that Eight has taken hold over various political and corporate figures in America with promises of wealth and power. Uh, knowing too much, the leader of Eight, as mysterious figure known as the Cobra, employs a lethal contract killer known as the Deleter, who has ultra-high-tech weaponry to kill him off. They eventually crack the case, and the Deleter destroys himself in an explosive device while confused by one of Mandrake's illusions, and they discover that the Deleter was not human, but some form of alien, which ties us back into the Flash Gordon stuff there. It also explains how he was able to injure Lothar, because his weapons were not man-made. Yep, yep. Then the third one is The Phantom. So we're going slightly differently from this one. So The Phantom is basically going to be female, and it's going to be black because the phantom line of succession is it's mostly like father to son, mother yeah. to daughter, blah, 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 and this kind of stuff. Never understand why they were all white when they all lived yeah. in Africa. It's like, <laughs> are you just sitting, laying in your racist cave, not talking to anybody else? So not having any of that. They've probably been black for God knows how many generations. So, And she will be called Kit Walker, which Still. is the name. Still played by Billy Zane. I oh, God, God, of course. <laughs> yes. The versatile Billy Zane. <laughs> yep. It's going to be CGI, but him doing all the mocap. Yeah. The ghost who walks, Kit Walker, has no superpowers, but defends the African country of Bangala with her twin pistols, which actually shoots non-lethal rubber rounds. Because in the original comics, like, she shot, or it was he always then, wasn't it? Would only shoot the enemy's guns out of their hands. Like, yes. that's fucking ridiculous. You'd miss yes. it at the time. So just have non-lethal rounds, for oh, God's shit. sake. Sorry, I missed it. <laughs> yes, yeah. In the face again. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. It's like the 18 thing where there's like a helicopter crash, isn't it? They all just roll out and dust themselves off. It's like, it's fine. It's, yeah. Nobody died in yeah. the A-team. Everything's fine. Da, 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 da. Um, also, she has her wolf devil, because Phantom always had loads of like different sort of animals. And friends. Yeah. I think we're just going to pick one, just to keep the CGI budget down. Do you want to keep the hero the horse? Yes. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. After various tribal leaders are murdered, the Phantom suspects the evil cult-like organization, the Seng Brotherhood. Originally in the comics, by the way, it was called the Singh Brotherhood because mm. it sounded exotic. And then, like, well, no, it just sounds Indian, and they're not Indian, so it's ridiculous. Yeah. So they Half the people in the world are called Singh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds very specifically from an area they're clearly not from. She tracks down the recently abandoned house of their leader, the masterful fighter and horrible asshole Rama Singh, and discovers her father's gun belt framed on a wall. The 20th Phantom, he was murdered by an unknown assailant years ago. Now it's personal as she tracks down Rama Seng to bring the Brotherhood to justice. After a final fight at a cliff edge, Seng is beaten, but the Phantom refuses to kill him because that is the way of the Phantom. He promptly throws himself off the precipice rather than live with the stigma of being beaten by a woman. Told you he was an arsehole. He lands on a ledge, breaks his legs, and is locked away for life. That'll teach him. <laughs> the Phantom discovers that the Seng Brotherhood were merely performing tasks under the instruction of a group known as Eight in order to control the region and allow digging for sapphires. She vows to find this Eight and try and stop their evil. So, we're now pushing towards... Defenders of the Earth Defenders. Bim, bim. <laughs> if, if anyone's wondering, that is the theme tune from the 80s show. <laughs> really? I, I would never have just known. just gone mad. So um, it's all obviously going to come together because you've got the uh, fact that 8 is clearly working with or for Ming. It turns out that Ming actually wants sapphires to power his war lasers or some shit, and he wants to come down and fuck up the Earth because Flash Gordon did his son in. That's what it's all about. And I'm wondering... Uh, there should be like a Samuel L. Jackson figure. So 
weirdly, in the comics, Mandrake's live-in chef, Hojo, was also the head of Inter-Intel, the sort of S.H.I.E.L.D.-type organisation. So I think I'd have Hojo in it, but not being Mandrake's live-in chef, because yeah. that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Is it kind of like Wong in, in Doctor Strange? Strange like, yeah. Let's make him not a manservant, and make him yeah. just like a, a sergeant sort of yeah. thing. That makes much more sense. Yeah. How can you live in somebody's place and cook all their food if you're also running S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, yeah. it makes no sense. I mean, he only eats every now and again. So. <laughs> it's one of his many powers yeah yeah um and you can have various interposed stuff like the phantom would only work alone perhaps but when she sees that mandrake and lothar fought with her father because one thing about the phantom is he has like two rings the good ring on the left hand and the bad ring on the right hand and if he likes you and you can be placed under his protection which leaves a mark on your hand of like load of crossed swords if i, I think remember, right, I can't remember yeah. yeah and if he doesn't like you he will slam evil and smack you in the mouth which leaves a skull mark on you yeah which famously from the Billy Zane poster which oh. Alec enjoyed so so much I just love that post <laughs> we would also introduce John Palmer who would be some sort of inter-intel agent who would um, become a phantom love interest and eventually Ming is uh, behind all the shit and he ends up being deposed when they fly off to Mongo no was that the planet Mongo? Yes, and help out Prince Baron and all them. But he'll get away at the end because we want to sell more of this franchise. Is Prince well, Baron still going to be Timothy Dalton? I was seriously... Yeah, yeah seriously. Like yeah, I'm going to throw this out. What, who do you think would be a good Flash Gordon? It's difficult. I assume mm. he's, has, as he's drawn in the comics now, with his blue outfit, with his big sort of golden... Not stuff, necessarily. Or do you want like red-topped? I, I think you, you, it's fairly open to this. He mm. needs somebody with some sort of physicality behind but blonde, right? Not necessarily. Or wig. So are you a, a, a Billy Zane type, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> not well known for being bald these so days. So are we... Because I must admit, as weird as it sounds, I kind of would like an Asian Flash Gordon. I think it'd be quite interesting if you're not set on the blonde. And because mm. Ming the Merciless is definitely not being Asian because it's such a fucking yellow peril Ooh, racist nonsense. Yeah, I that, feel that would be... The planet's called Mo Mongo, Mongo, for God's sake. Yeah, it's yeah. like this horrifying like allegory. I, I would say combat that then and I would, I would cast... I would go with, and I am taking a stab at the name, I believe his name is Henry Golding, who was in Crazy Rich Asians and is in A Simple Favour. He's uh, the guy. I'm literally thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is an incredibly handsome man. He's a really striking individual. Yes. Oh, fuck. He's, really, <laughs> he's like really handsome. I was thinking I wouldn't mind seeing Channing Tatum take a crack at it, but... He'd be appropriate. Mm. I think he'd work fine. Yeah, he's I'm, had I'm quite liking this. this. He's yeah. had enough bites of that old He's had apple. enough Jupiter's mm, ascending. Yeah. yeah. Please, no one said any of the Chris's. I'm just happy that yeah. there's no so, Pine yes. Hemsworth. They've got enough franchise. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're, doing, we're going with something new here. Mm. Something zanier. I can't think of a person. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with me now. <laughs> Ming, Ming the Merciless, the Merciless is an Billy interesting Zane. one. Yeah. Because he's got no hair. I'd, I'd, I'd just be happy to see Billy Zane. Yeah. I think for Ming the Merciless's look, I'd go roughly with what they had, but play up more the classic image of the devil kind of thing. Mm. I genuinely quite like Billy Zane. <laughs> 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 Problem is now, we're trying to think of actors who have not been scooped up yeah. by other yeah. comic fans. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really difficult. When you mentioned Lothar, it? I was like, oh, yeah, Chiwetel Legif. Oh, fuck, no. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> you got all the like, yeah. oh, you, Chadwick Boseman. Nope. nope. Yeah. Idris Elba. Nope. Yeah. It's like, um. they, they're already in everything else. It's like, fuck's sake. Who are we thinking for um phantom then because mm. there's lots of potential individuals and obvious choices like Denai guerrera and those guys that are already in black panther and the walking dead and this stuff like the that problem, yeah because yeah. my, my idea would just be to harvest the cast of atlanta 
and just start saying like them. Oh, everyone, yes. everyone's great. I've yeah. never. Yeah. But uh, uh, Zazie Beats, for example, yeah, I think she'd be great. She's sold. Yeah, she's great. I think yes. she'd be good. Yep. But then again, is the whole like, am I just harvesting someone because they're already in a position mm-hmm. of prominence? Like they're already good. Yeah. Or do we go with someone completely unknown? We'd have open casting and have it unknown. Mandrake. Mandrake is a harder one. Somebody, somebody thin-faced. I feel so that that ridiculous pencil moustache. What about Jason Isaacs? Isn't it? Oh, he's I too old. I'd go for but I love me. I, I would cast yeah. Jason Isaacs at anything, but I love he's a bit too old for it. I don't know, but with, with, with like it, it works with Mandrake being a bit older, especially Maybe if you're saying he's had adventures with the yeah. the current Phantom's yeah. father. Or, uh, yep, yeah. that is a thing. It does give way to Lothar and Mandrake being a bit older. Interesting. So that was some ideas for some cinematic universes in various different forms, and some of them are already kind of existing. Some of them don't exist at all. Some of them are reboots and remakes of old things we wish existed. Let us know if you have any ideas or if you disagree with any of us in our selections we will fight you on the internet could i quickly head one off right now certainly we were having a conversation on twitter and some dude suggested the thunderbird stuff (laughs) and i immediately went oh for fuck's sake (laughs) because i thought oh great now they're gonna think i stole their idea but i didn't <laughs> we case had, dismissed. <laughs> we had there this. you have it. Good folks. job, Matt. So that guy good, that I've completely forgot the name of on Twitter. I didn't steal your fucking idea. We had the same great idea, okay? So you're welcome and congratulations this time. I'll see you later. You can contact us on Twitter at Sequelizers or if you have a thing longer than the limited character use on Twitter, it's sequelizers at gmail.com. And we will see you reasonably soon. In the not too distant future. For the start of season four. See you then, listeners. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bizzle. <laughs> Marina. Fucking Aquamarina. Aquamarina. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.